0: It's Jackson Hole at the end of the week, and on Friday, Jerome Powell will give his address. Do you actually have a clear idea of what direction he will take? We'll look at what's in store for us data-wise ahead of Jackson Hole, whilst more immediate questions loom over China and Japan, with announcements from China over the weekend about trying to restore confidence in their economy, and Japan struggling with more inflation than they expected. It's Monday, the 21st of August, 2023. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, the US dollar fell a little on Friday, but it was up a uh, percent over the week on the DXY index. The Aussie dollar finished the week at just over 64 US cents, getting below 63.8 on Friday and finishing the week 1.4% lower. The losses on equities on Friday weren't as pronounced as earlier in the week, with the Dow managing to stay in the green, the S&P only just finishing in the red. But over the week, the S&P 500 was down 2.1%. The Dow lost 2.2%. And even with a rally early in the week, the Nasdaq was still down 2.6% by the close on Friday, which is also the size of the fall in the ASX 200 last week as well. Globally, the MSCI World Index fell about the same, about 2.5% last week. Bond yields were down on Friday. Germany, France and Europe saw... uh, much of Europe, I should say, saw 10-year yields down seven basis points, down seven in the UK, but 10-year gilts were still up at 4.67%. That's 14 basis points higher in the week. By comparison, 10-year treasuries were up 10 basis points last week, with yields down just two basis points on Friday. Aussie 10-year yields finished at 4.24%, losing 9 basis points on Friday, but still up 12 basis points over the week. And oil picked up on Friday, WTI at 1%, Brent up 0.8%. But up to the middle of the week, of course, the direction was firmly down for oil. So a lot of uncertainty. And we know some of that is coming from China and some of it coming from Japan as well at the end of the week. NAB's Tapas Strickland joins us uh, from Sydney this morning. So let's look at Japan first of all, uh, Tapas. So, I mean, inflation on Friday. Quite a bit higher than expected. The headline rate is up to 3.3% year on year for July, up 0.4% for the month, although the core rate has dipped a little from 3.3% to 3.1%. So, you know, on reflection, how bad is it really for, for Japan? What do they do? And what does it mean for Australia? There we are. Three questions to start with.
1: Good morning, Phil, and happy anniversary as well.
0: Yeah, um, that's right. So, We're seven years old for the morning call today. Absolutely. Thank you. Seven
1: years. And the present is in the mail.
0: Yeah, I believe um, yeah.
1: In terms of uh, Japan and inflation, yes, uh, core, CPI was, core CPI inflation was broadly as expected, but what in the details was interesting was that services inflation has accelerated to 2% from 1.6% and barring the impact of the 1997 sales tax hike that now sees services inflation um, the the highest since about 1993. So it does seem to suggest there is traction on the inflation front uh, for Japan. But regardless of that, I think the bank of Japan is really looking at what's going on with with wages growth and is going to be still relatively cautious uh, around kind of further tweaks until they're more, Uh, Assured that wages growth is more consistent with inflation being uh, consistent with that target.
0: So they're playing a long waiting game then, aren't they, really?
1: Yes, they are playing a long waiting game, but at least the inflation data there is suggestive that uh, inflation is looking like it's going to get uh, and be sustained at that target. Um, Also playing in the background is um, the potential of, if the Bank of Japan were to make um, greater changes to their – Uh, monetary policy, what kind of impact would that have on end bond yields and what impact would that actually have on bond valuations? After all, Japan has had uh, many decades of uh, zero or negative rates and the bond valuation losses that would occur from a rising rate environment could be quite substantial. And there is one article in the Wall Street Journal talking about some regional banks in Japan. And uh, indeed, the Central Bank in its financial system report that was issued back in July said if our yields rose by one percentage point across the board, regional banks in aggregate would suffer around $23 billion US billion in unrealized losses on their domestic bond holdings. So I think for Japan, they're going to still proceed relatively cautious. There is inflation coming up and they're really looking for wage growth to be consistent with their inflation target. But at the same time, just because they've had a long era of very low slash negative rates, um, they're going to be very cautious about normalising policy just given um, all those kind of things that could eventuate.
0: Right. But isn't there a danger it could just all spiral out of control for them? There is, there is a
1: potential that uh, inflation rises more than what the Bank of Japan I- is expecting. And I'm reminded of Australia's experience. So uh, Australia's experience, uh, headline WPI, has been not really shooting the lights out. It has been broadly consistent with inflation averaging around the 2 to 3% inflation target in, in Australia, yet headline and core inflation in Australia has been very, very high and has sustained higher, partly due to all the supply chain disruptions, but also because of all the accumulated savings that Australian households had. Uh, when you think about it, accumulated savings, it has to say Japan, obviously, um, has a massive savings pot, So that could sustain inflation, even though um, wages growth isn't considered to be consistent with inflation being a target. And that's the kind of,
0: fine lines that the Bank of Japan will be treading. So nothing to worry about in that case, you're saying, that they're right perhaps to play this this waiting game, are they? I I think they're right to be
1: very very cautious for for two things, because it's taken a long time for inflation to rise, uh, and they want to be assured that inflation is going to Stay there, But at the same time, just given the uncertainties around the bond valuation losses, you want to be very careful about normalising policy. Uh, This is particularly due to the private sector, but also partly due to the government sector as well, just given the relatively high debt levels that the government sector has as well.
0: Right. Bigger problems in China, of course. Regulators have asked banks to increase lending uh, over the weekend without giving, you know, too many specifics. They said that the credit policy for the property sector will be improved. Of course, you know, country garden holdings has uh, missed several bond payments. Um, it's almost three quarters of the, of the, uh, lost three quarters of its value this year. It's just been dropped from the Hang Seng index. Evergrande has declared bankruptcy in New York. So big problems for the property sector and local authority debt. I mean, that I think the two are somewhat linked, aren't they? So what can the, what, or what are the Communist Party and the PBOC doing other than I presume that we're, we're going to see a cut to the loan prime rates today? Cause that's in the, in the calendar.
1: It's a very good question. And, You have to remember that uh, leaders have been pledging for the past weeks or even months um, initiatives to boost domestic consumption and to support the private sector. But again, haven't really detailed any um, uh, details in the way of new stimulus measures or anything concrete in terms of potential reforms. And it's that lack of detail that is not really lending much confidence to the Chinese uh, economy. So, um, so far, it seems like officials are resisting those efforts to roll out major uh, stimulus and really does seem to be a lack of willingness to accept um, that these kind of reforms are are needed here. So, we'll be looking quite closely. Our kind of assumptions, for the Australian dollar, our assumptions for the Australian economy is still very much contingent on the Chinese authorities uh, coming to the party, uh, recognising these kind of problems and um, un- unveiling stimulus measures in response to that. So we'll be looking quite, quite closely yeah. exactly how the Chinese authorities really respond to this,
0: but so far um, haven't really responded in the way um, that they have in prior. No, and the Aussie dollar continues to get lower and lower It almost by the day. I mean, how long will that go on for? If we see China doing nothing, does it just keep on in that direction, or is it sort of reached a low now, do you think? It,
1: it's, it's potential, and the Aussie, and to some extent the Kiwi, still seen as that proxy for, for for China, so if China continues to be weak, then the potential for the Australian dollar to go lower from here uh, remains
0: and that all depends on whether actually China ever does come bouncing back because uh, there's a piece in the Wall Street Journal today uh, just about that. Is the 40-year boom over? Will it never realise its ambition to become the world's largest economy? Because as well as all its short-term problems obviously it's got the ageing population to to contend with as well Uh, but you know that's that's a longer term piece I guess. Another piece that's in the Wall Street Journal today, uh, perhaps of more immediate pertinence, is whether the uh, era of historically low interest rates could be over because looking at where the neutral rate of interest actually lies could it actually be higher than we think and uh, if the neutral rate is higher what does that mean for movements by the fed over the next year or so
1: it's a very good question. Indeed, you could call it the billion dollar question, really, is um, has that neutral rate uh, that was being seen to be trending lower prior to the pandemic, has it actually risen because of potentially higher unforeseen productivity or just due to high government debt levels? And I've seen a few economists out there saying that because of higher public debt in the US, the real neutral rate may have risen to one and a half So if that's the case, you add a 2% inflation target onto it, you're talking about a 3.5% neutral Fed funds rate. So those kind of concepts of where uh, the Fed funds rate may need to come back to once inflation is looking like it's heading back to target and may not have to go back as low as uh, price cycles, just given there may have been a lift in the
0: real neutral right. rate.
1: So that's the main main implication there. So that um, doesn't mean in it, the short
0: term we go higher, does it? It means we just have to pull back less far. Well, it,
1: it, in terms of how high you need to go, it really depends on the inflation out, outlook. And um, mm. it, in that respect, the last two CPI prints have been very, very encouraging. And indeed, when you look at the... PC equivalent of those CPI prints, um, the three-month annualized trim mean is running at about 2.3%. So it does suggest, at least over the past couple of months, there has been a noticeable deceleration in the pace of core inflation in the US. And if that's repeated in the next few months, then you're going to start talking about, you know, is the Fed... Are done, and obviously that's being priced by, by, by markets. And to what extent, if that's the case, do they start to take their foot off the brake? At least if uh, real neutral rates have risen, then maybe the degree of which they can take their foot off the brake has reduced a little bit, just because where you thought the real neutral rate is, is probably a little bit higher than you thought it was previously.
0: Okay, but that's down the track, isn't it? We've got to get to wherever we're going first. And I wonder whether uh, at Jackson Hole, that kicks off this week, Jerome Powell talking on Friday in the U.S., uh, so in the past, I mean, it's, it's been the case, isn't it? That, you know, not what goes, what city in Wyoming stays in Wyoming. It's all over the place and it's usually got quite a market reaction, often driving share prices up, although it didn't do it last year, but, but fairly often there's a fairly hawkish stance taken. But I mean, we, we, I mean, we don't know which, which direction Jerome Powell's going to go, do we? Cause I mean, there's so much uncertainty in the air.
1: There is so much uncertainty, but if you look back at what he said in his July press conference, um, his two main messages were that uh, the Fed, they could raise rates again or they could not. Uh, It's really going to be data dependent. And they still think they're going to have to hold rates higher for longer. And if you're looking for rate cuts, you're talking about a mid-2024 kind of Story, So I think that kind of narrative is going to continue uh, at, at Jackson Hole. Um, I was just looking back in 2022 and uh, what Powell said then. And uh, just worth noting back then, um, he came out and surprised to the, the, the hawkish side, um, really kept the allusion to Paul Volcker with the title of keeping at it. And uh, mm-hmm. indeed, just did see some quite special declines in e- equity markets. I think what we have seen, though, is the Fed funds rate has moved from, I think the Fed funds rate back then was about two and a half percent. Uh, the Fed funds rate is obviously much higher now. Um, so the Fed is in restrictive territory. It feels like it's in a relatively comfortable Position And you're also starting to see some inflation prints that are more consistent with inflation heading back to target. So I think in that, I think he's going to keep the same kind of narrative in regards to that. And he may also try and calm down bond markets a little bit as well by re-emphasizing those
0: kind of themes as well. Well, it is all data dependent, of course. And we've got a bit to go before he starts talking. So global flash PMI prints this week, US durable goods orders as well. Uh, Tell you what is going to be interesting this week, though. Uh, NVIDIA shares they are up over 200% year-to-date. So, obviously, it's all about chips. They had a strong earnings report in May, thanks to all the optimism around AI. So, we get their earnings results this week and I think maybe that's going to become a bit of a benchmark for how we see the future of chips and artificial intelligence. So, that is going to be a a key earning result to watch this week, isn't it?
1: I I think it will be taken uh, as a broader indicator there. And uh, uh, NVIDIA has definitely been the poster child of this kind of um, um, AI-driven stock boom that that we have seen over the past six months or so there. So is that starting to to be realised, or is it a bit more hyped up or or not? Um, Just worth noting that um, there has been a lot of reports about um, orders um, for NVIDIA chips, particularly from some areas of the world that um, could come under um, potential sanctions in the future. Um, So it could be that um, they are seeing really, really strong orders there so it could be that they are actually
0: meeting expectations right. okay so just just back to friday very quickly uk retail sales for july uh, it was expected that after a, st- a strong june that they would come back and they did uh actually came back more than expected so a 1.2 percent drop month on month after a 0.6 percent rise in june so that was revised down a little i think from 0.7 percent so not a big revision so that british resilience is no more mind you it rained the entire month and June was nice and sunny so maybe a bit of fair weather shopping at play uh, but we did see bonyards fall but actually not as much as they fell in Europe so we can't blame that on those numbers I don't think.
1: Yeah just on that weather I think the UK had 170% of the average rainfall for that month and that would make it the wettest July since 2009 and the sixth wettest uh, on record since 1836 so um, if it was raining a lot in the UK it definitely was. Um, it, what, what was interesting is um, and there's a few themes here to to, to draw out, but just worth noting the le- the volumes, the the compared to pre-pandemic levels. Um, volumes are now 1.8% lower. So it does suggest there is some kind of moderation occurring, Um, whether that's due to all the inflation that we have seen in the UK economy or whether that's due to higher rates, um, a little bit uncertain. And so we'll be looking quite closely at the PMIs that come out on Wednesday and indeed the global PMIs just to see whether that resilience in the services sector that had been evident in the global economy in the first half of the year, whether that is continuing to ease back as it did suggest in the past couple of months. Also, the other well, thing worth noting there is... Um, the online shopping because of all that wet weather, um, UK shoppers shopped a lot online, and uh, there had been a lot of uncertainty about it, to the extent that people would resume sh- shopping in bricks and mortar retailing. That's quite important for the retail sector, and uh, mm. the um, Office of National Statistics for the UK said uh, online shopping counted for twenty seven point four percent of all retail sales taking place in July, and that's up from twenty six percent in June, and it's the highest share since February twenty twenty two. So at least in the UK. The kind of movement back to the high street, it looks like a fair chunk is still occurring online, so not as
0: much normalisation to pre-pandemic buying habits as previously thought well New Zealand talking about buying habits we get credit card spending for July for New Zealand today also their trade numbers as well so the trade balance less interesting probably than the size of the uh, the fall in imports and exports which i mean around the world we've seen over the last month or two we have seen, seen some quite sizable falls
1: uh, yeah so the trade balance doesn't tend to move uh, markets too much there and the
0: prime month was i think just in surplus by 9 million. Right, okay. And uh, Canada's new housing, uh, the price index for that is out. Germany's producer price is pretty quiet otherwise. Spain's consumer confidence numbers are out today. If they did that survey right now, I wonder if the Spanish would be that much more confident uh, after uh, giving England a, b- a bit of a shellacking uh, in the World Cup last night. That's all I'm going to say about that. Uh, just one other thing, by the way. Uh, so we've got the Jackson Hole Symposium. We've got that big meeting happening at the end of this week. The other big meeting this week, and I don't know whether markets pay too much attention to this, but it's worth keeping an eye on, isn't it? Because it, I mean, we will almost certainly grab some news headlines this week. All the BRICS nations, so Brazil, Russia, India, China and South Africa, They've got their get-together as well, and one of the things they're going to talk about is who else wants to join them. Uh, and there's, you know, there's all sorts of stuff going on in this, isn't there? There's talk about having some sort of unified trading currency to reduce their reliance on the US dollar. I know this is a slow-burning story, but it's interesting to see, well, it will be interesting to see what comes out of that meeting this week. Oh,
1: definitely. And I guess you're starting to see the roads where countries are forming more solid blocks together, and uh, that does mm. hamper productivity in the future as well. So uh, it does look like um, at least Australia has lined itself up with with AUKUS, so Australia, the UK, and also with the Quad, so Japan, India um, as, as well. Um, and it looks like the BRIC nations are starting to form a bit more solid, cohesive um, trade policy together as, as well. So very important to
0: watch, especially in terms of trade policy going forward. Yeah, particularly the R letter in that BRICS as well and the influence they uh, they have from all of it. Anyway, yeah. we'll leave it there for now. Good to talk, Tapas. Uh, and uh, yeah, happy seventh birthday. You've been with us since the very beginning uh, and hopefully for another seven years. Uh, good on you. Talk to you Cheers. soon. Thanks, Phil. Can you cope with another seven years of this? Uh, That's it for today. I'm Phil Dobby for now back again. Well, at least we'll do one tomorrow anyway. Let's take it a day at a time. I'll see you then. Thanks for listening.